Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Rich Just Win Baby. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC San Antonio, Marlon Chito Vera versus Corey Sanhagen. Winners getting a title shot. And Rich, it's going live this Saturday night, live at the AT&T Center from San Antonio, Texas. I mean, you got the man in Marlon Chito Vera with the most finishes in the history of the Bantamweight division, taking on the very creative Corey Sanhagen. I mean, these kind of fights are the reason that we tune into the sport, and uh, I have a feeling it's going to be violent Saturday night. Yeah, for sure, man. Take the betting away from it. And um, just as a fan, that one's a pleasure to see. Um, always exciting to see Corey uh, perform. And, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good, week of, um, good week of fights, man, seeing Leon uh retain his belt against usman that was satisfying to see and um yeah looking forward to this card man it's a lot better than the last one in my opinion in terms of bets yeah i mean you know the funny thing is originally they were trying to sneak in a little holly home main event <laughs> which you know no disrespect to the former champion she's got one of the best upsets in the history of the sport against ronda but funnily enough last time they did that they literally put michelle Pereira over santiago ponzinibbio as the co-main event ahead of Vieira and Holmes. So uh, my main event was, was Ponzinibbio and Pereira. I stopped, I, I, I stopped watching the, the card right after that. I still haven't seen Holm versus Vieira. So I'm glad they learned from their mistakes because it would have been an atrocity to have Vera versus Sanhagen before Holm and Yana uh, uh, Kunitskaya. You know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. So, my man, let's get right down to business because without further ado, in the main event – for you know i was gonna say for the bantamweight title but it's not for the bantamweight title it's for a crack at the bantamweight title we got marlon chito vera he's 22 7 and 1 representing ecuador he's the first ever ecuadorian fighter in ufc history now we got uh michael morales and i think there's one more too but but this guy's the pioneer taking on the ultra creative Corey sanhagen who was 15 and 4 and currently rich they got it Corey Sanhagen, minus 181. The comeback on Marlon Chito Vera is plus 156. So, I mean, I get the narrative here, man. I mean, basically what I've been hearing is that Corey Sanhagen is going to come out here and out-volume Marlon Chito Vera. And quite frankly, I agree with that. I think he is going to come out here and out-volume Marlon Chito Vera. I think a good majority of Marlon Chito Vera's opponents go out there and out-volume him. But the funny thing about it, man, is usually I like to bet on guys that you know, can double up their opponents on strikes that put up those high strike counts and have the insane volume and guys that aren't reliant on big moments that aren't reliant on finishes. And like Chito Vera is the exception to the rule, my man. I mean, literally, like I already mentioned, this guy's got the most finishes in the history of the division. And it's one thing where it's like a Trevin Jones case where, you know, he's getting whooped by Valiev. Oh, and he finds a fluke shot, maybe does it one more time against Bautista and then never wins a fight ever again. This guy, Cheeto Vera, makes this work over and over and over. And at what point do you stop counting him out, Rich? Yeah, um, I think you said it's right, man. And I guess the narrative is um, Corey's going to piece him up and uh, go to the decision. But like you say, Vera is an exception to the rule. And he's, he's dangerous, man. We've seen it in the uh, Dominic Cruz fight. You know, he's a slow starter. He was losing, what? Three was it the fourth round that he found that um head kick on Cruz? He's he's yeah. always he's always live for that KO man. Um, so I can I can imagine that this um 
plus 150 numbers got to be very enticing to everybody to take Vera as the dog. And uh, to be honest, I don't mind it myself. Um, I haven't made a decision yet on the main event. Uh, I'm, st I'm still looking into it. You know, it's, um, it's a bit worrisome how Corey, once he's down, gets back up. You know, he gives his back up every single time. That's what led to the, um, the submission from Sterling. So uh, I'm wary of that. I'm wary of his, um, you know, being prone to subs. And I know Vera does have Loki good jiu-jitsu. Um, so, yeah, still looking into this one, to be honest. Um, but I think Vera as a dog is uh, very appealing. I mean, the thing about him is that he defies logic. I mean, you look at the numbers in the Dominic Cruz fight. He got outstruck 92 to, to 61, gave up two takedowns in that fight. But he's landing knockdowns in the in the rounds in which he's losing. So so you look at the 92 to 61, but then you look at the knockdowns, it's three to nothing in terms of knockdowns. Same thing with the Rob Font fight. Rob, okay, if I'm if I'm here telling you and looking you in the eye with a straight face, Rich, and telling you that, hey, one guy outstruck the other guy by over a hundred significant strikes and um and still lost the fight. That that's yeah. just like what Cheeto brings to the table. Like when he touches guys, they react different. And I know it's hard to rely on that, but like at this point, like you see these guys' faces after they go in there with Cheeto Vera. And it's like they went through, you know, a meat grinder. And, and it's not even, you know, a John Fitch, you know, hump someone, bore the crowd. Like, this guy puts damage on people. And the thing I always criticized about Marlon Vera back in the day was, you know, I, I always thought he was a hard kicker. I thought he had opportunistic finishing ability, but I had issues with his hands. I thought his boxing wasn't wasn't the best, right? Well, I mean, the guy got outside his comfort zone. He's been training with Jason Perillo. The last few camps, you know, a guy who's responsible for UFC champions like Michael Bisping, a guy who's responsible for UFC double champions like BJ Penn, a guy who's responsible for UFC champions like Chris Cyborg. So the fact that, you know, he humbled himself, he dropped his ego and said, hey, this is what I need to work on specifically. I think it's been paying dividends. I mean, you look at the Cruz fight. Yeah. Was the volume not up to par with Cruz? Sure. But who was landing the knockdowns? And I'm not just talking about the head kick at the end, Rich. He was dropping in with jabs, too. Yeah, very, very true. And to be fair, it is Dominic Cruz. And I don't think Dominic's uh, really lost the step. You know, he's still doing his thing in there. So I don't think you can hate on um, Vera for losing the first um, couple of rounds. Um, I think he did very well. And uh, yeah, like you say, man, massive improvements from the Vera uh, that once was. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, you know, gun to my head at the minute, I'd have to say, say Vera. And I think he's going to get a submission, man. I'm looking at his record now. He hasn't um, had one for a while. He nearly got that rear naked choke on David Grant. And um, yeah, I just think gut feeling he's due one. And um, I can't ignore the get-ups from Corey, man. He he exposes his back far too much. Um, you know, we've seen that in the Sterling fight. You look earlier on his record and um, he's getting... Is it Corey? Oh, my mistake. That's his only, uh, that's his only submission loss. Um, but yeah, that was telling enough for me from the Sterling one. I think I'm going to um, take the dog spot on um, Vera in this situation um but yeah i think at range Corey's obviously going to land um his shots and do his thing i think marlon has to like close the distance in this one um maybe get some takedowns you know throw them elbows and make it dirty i think if he stays on the outside he's in trouble with the kicks and the knees from um from sandhagen to be honest i think there is too, too low volume 
Yeah, and let me say something interesting about Corey Sandhagen because we know him as this creative artist, you know, the arsenal, the strikes, the big volume, the flying knees, you know, just you don't know what's coming at you. But one thing that he started implementing in his game since the TJ Dillashaw fight is he's actually been attempting a lot more takedowns, which is something that we didn't see in Corey Sanhagen in his earlier uh, fights. And the point in case is this. You look at his fight with uh, Piotr Yan and Corey Sanhagen, he actually attempted six takedowns in that fight, which you wouldn't suspect unless you actually looked at the numbers or went back and watched the fight. Very next fight against Song Yudong, um, Corey, Sanhagen, Corey Sanhagen goes one for 14 on takedowns. So yeah, one for 14, it's only 7% you know, accuracy and that's not a good number. But the fact that the guy attempted 14 takedowns actually shows that He's trying to implement new elements to his game. And it's not more so to come out here and grind people out. I think it's more so to give them a different look, to get them thinking that, you know, you're expecting the flying knees, you're expecting the combination uh, strikes. And then this guy's out here shooting. You're like, shit, I didn't train for that. So I know for a fact, Cheeto Vera puts in the work and he's, you know, he does his homework and I know he's going to be expecting it. But for those that, you know, haven't really been paying attention, like we have, uh, have you noticed Corey Sanhagen has been attempting a lot more takedowns his last few fights? Um, to be to be honest, I didn't watch the uh, the Peter Yan fight back when I was doing tape. Um, I was really more on the Marlon side, um, so I've been watching his back. Um, but yeah, I can see his game improving, Corey. When he first um, came into the UFC, you know, I thought this guy's unbeatable. You know, I remember his fight against, I think it was Batista, Mario Batista, um, when he was first coming in. And he looked phenom phenomenal, man, doing his thing on the feet. Um, but it was his submission game that I was impressed with. Um, but then when I watched him against Sterling, that was just eye-opening for me. I was like, oh, okay, so this guy does have an Achilles heel. Um, so that's what interests me in this fight, is how um, the grappling exchanges are going to go. Obviously, it's five rounds. We're likely to go, um, see that here. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm really interested in seeing in this fight, is the grappling exchanges. Um, and it would be really interesting to me if I seen Sandhagen forcing that issue with the takedowns um, because obviously he'd be better off keeping this on the feet in my opinion. I, I agree, you know, to try to get off on the volume because he will be outlanding uh, Vera in terms of the numbers. Um, and I'm glad you brought up how you, you know, expect the grappling to go because not only has Corey Sanhagen, you know, been attempting more takedowns just to kind of confuse his opponents, just to get you something extra to think about. But even in the TJ Dillashaw fight, he was attacking for an inverse triangle. But on the other side of things, um, with Marlon Chito Vera, I mean, I know you've noticed that disgusting outside trip that he's been hitting on a lot of these guys. And that's one thing that, you know, we always used to criticize his wrestling. He's been successfully wrestling in some of these fights too. That third round against Song Yidong, when he took him down, I mean, you saw basically all, all the heart go out the window from Song Yidong at that point. That was a three-round fight. My suspicion is, had that been a four, you know, a five-round fight, uh, Cheeto would have got the finish. And that leads me to my next point that I used to say, I cannot wait for Marlon Chito Vera to finally compete in five round fights because for whatever reason, he's the kind of guy, you know, people like to make the joke about Piotr Yan. He's making, he likes to make reads, right? <laughs> and, you know, like a couple of days later after the Marab fight, a meme came out, Piotr Yan is still making reads, right? <laughs> but, uh, the thing is with Chito Vera, you know, he will drop a round or two early and in three round fights, that's where he kind of has to rush to get that third round finish. But now he's got, you know, a couple more extra rounds to work with. 
and it doesn't take much for him to turn the tide of a fight. He might be getting outstruck by over 100 strikes, like in the Font fight, by 30 strikes in the, in the Cruz fight. But when he lands on you, he makes stuff count. And not that Corey Sanhagen has some kind of durability concern. I don't think he does. But what we have seen is we've seen people land hard on him. Whether it was early in his UFC career against Yuri Alcantara, the, the thing is, Cheeto Vera's heart is, you know, levels above that version of Yuri at the time. Um, not only the Yuri fight, but the Piotr Yan fight. We saw Piotr Yan actually successfully knock down uh, Corey Sanhagen and change the, the course of the fight from there on out. So, like, again, I know it's not my style to be relying on big moments or comebacks or this or that, but I truly think Chito Vera is the exception to the rule. And more importantly than any of that, it's about the number for me, Rich, and I'd be willing to lay plus 155 odds on Marlon Vera against anyone in the bantamweight division in a five-round fight, period. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. Five-round Vera is um, totally different, um, and I'd find it hard to bet against him in that position. And then on top of that, you get dog odds, um, you know, kind yeah. of forces your hand a little bit here. So kind of how I see it going, I see him getting outstruck, you know, not 93 to 44, but the times that Cheeto does land, whether it's knockdowns, whether it's, you know, facial damage kind of in that third round, like Fazee versus Gaethje, it's just going to be so apparent who's, you know, more significant with their shots, who's more impactful that I think even if it does go to decision, you know, I'm not saying it with 100% certainty that Cheeto's going to win. I'm just saying that you can't write off, you can't discount that possibility of him winning a decision too. Although as a Cheeto Vera better, I would of course prefer a finish. Yeah, it's kind of like Leon last week. I bet many people got burnt by taking the ITD um, because they thought, well, Leon ain't going to win a decision because, you know, Usman's going to land takedown. So anyone who's going to win the decision, it's likely going to be Usman because he's, you know, adding the takedowns. And it's the same with Vera, you know, yeah, he's low volume and Corey's probably more likely to win the decision on volume, but you can't, um, you know, you don't want to get burnt like that, especially when the odds um, are so good on the money line, like plus 150 is pretty crazy, man. Exactly. And, and, and that's my point too, you know, as someone who bet Leon and shout out to the person that actually gave me some some nice insider info right before the fight that Usman was dealing with that injury and dude uh, okay. that fight was a game of inches literally and I feel like that injury made all the difference in the world so I don't need to fuck around with round two round three when the guy's already plus 215 money line and I feel the same way here he's already plus 155 I don't need to get cute let me just take him straight and Again, I don't have a single bad thing to say about Corey Sanhagen, and, and I'm very well aware that he's got a path to victory here. Outland this guy. I mean, you're going to outland this guy, win, lose, or draw, but outland him and prevent him from having those big moments. That's really what it comes down to in my eyes. But I'm not betting against Cheeto right now. I think it's his time. I think he's ready for his title shot. So I, I got to go with him, and I love the number. Yeah, I'm with you. Same, same, man. And, um, yeah, same with Corey. Like, I hate to see him lose. Um, it's kind of like Andrea Lee later on in the card. Um, I hate, hate to see her lose, but you can't bet with your, uh, you know, you got to bet with your head, man. Well, why would you hate to see Andrea Lee lose? Oh, I've just got a bit of a simp thing for um, for some Andrea Lee. So it's nice to see her win, stay in the UFC. But, um, yeah, it looks like your career is coming to an end.
Yeah, but you know, uh, she she was married to a fucking Nazi, and now she's married to Tony Kelly. Oh, I know all that. Yeah, she chooses some real dickheads to go out with, but um, she's easy on the eye. But personality-wise, she's got some work to do. Yeah, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> to say the least. So, co-main event of the evening. I mean, uh, between you and me, why don't we talk about the real co-main event of the evening, which is Manel Cap, who's eighteen and six, taking on Alex Perez, who's twenty-four and seven. And currently, they got it. Manel Cap minus one seventy. The comeback on Alex Perez is plus one forty-five. And, and I'm taking a stance here, man. I, I think that Manel Cap is one of these guys that came into the UFC as a champion, and they treated him accordingly. Think about this, Rich. Uh, Conor McGregor's debut opponent was Marcus Brimage. Manel Cap's debut opponent was Alexandre Pantoja. Like. <laughs> like that that's that's what i'm saying here like they're already treating this guy like a champion and when you fight pantoja on your first fight and prior to that you're fighting in japan with shoes on the ref's got an earpiece i mean like it's just you got to get used to what it's like inside the ufc's octagon and even though that fight didn't go his way it can be frustrating that his output can be on the lower side you still saw some glimpses i saw much more improved grappling than i saw back in his days in japan i mean the guy's actually earned his black belt since then and i really felt like once he starts to feel like the octagon is his home this guy's a problem i mean his hand speed has to be right up there. He's got that one hitter quitter, which you don't often see in the flyweight division. He's got insane confidence. His ground game has leveled up tremendously. I think he's the guy. And the thing with Alex Perez, like, yeah, does he have skills? Yeah, the guy's got heavy hands. He's got the wrestling background. I've always, you know, had a soft spot for guys that, you know, have good Dars chokes and Anaconda chokes as a jujitsu guy myself. So I respect it. But my issue with Alex Perez is he can give it, but I'm not convinced he can take it. And people can talk about these last two submission losses all they want. I don't need to talk about that. Why don't we talk about the Joseph Benavidez fight? Why do people just brush that under the rug? Why do they act like that never happened? How he got knocked out three times in that fight. I really think that he comes after Manel Cap trying to get into a slugging exchange, man. Um, and he's going to hit the deck. And I don't think the wrestling is going to be as successful as some people foresee it being. Maybe a takedown, but I see Manel getting back up to his feet. I think the submission is live too, as crazy as that sounds. But mo more, more often than not, I think Manel um, is going to land the more damaging blows. And whether it's a knockout or decision, I like this minus 170 on Manel Cap. I was lining him more, my, minus 200, minus 230. Um, so minus 170, I'm good. And I know that there's some respected sharp action on Alex Perez, but that doesn't intimidate me at all. I'm not on board with this form of Alex Perez. Um, and I think you have to be a certain level to, be, to beat Manel Cap. I don't think Alex is on that level. I see Manel fighting the winner of Pantoja versus Moreno for the title. So for that reason, I have to not only pick Manel Cap, but I have to bet him too. Yeah, I like it, man. Um, yeah, I'm surprised by that number two. I'd expect minus 200, minus 250 range here for Cap. Um, I don't like Perez. I used to back in the day. You know, I thought this guy had, had it all, you know, submissions, the wrestling, um, the hands. Um, but look at his record, man. Just taking a look now. He's backed out of his last eight fights that have been cancelled or you know, someone's withdrew or he's missed weight, lost his last two fights, yes, against good competition. Um, but nevertheless, you know, he's taking losses and they're all in the first round as well. He's getting subbed, um, which goes to your point. You know, he can't really take it when it's coming back from the other side. Um, I remember cashing Figueredo in that fight. Um, the submission, it was something stupid like plus 400, I remember. 
Um, so that was satisfying. Um, but yeah, I, I see this situation as, um, you know, we've seen it many times before, not too long ago with Benita Lopez. He's a real estate agent coming in to make a quick 50K. And I think that's the same here with Perez. I don't know what numbers he's on, um, but I imagine 80K, something like that. Um, I've seen on Instagram, he's got outside ventures. You know, he's got some business um, going, some Aki, Aki thing, Akai, whatever that is. Um, so, yeah, I think Capes decide. I think he's going to get him out of there in round one. Um, I wouldn't be too cute and try and um, bet the KO because, like you just said, I think the sub is live. Um, so, yeah, Capes decide, man, and I think it's a great number. Under plus 200. What more can you ask for? And stylistically speaking, I know Alex Perez, you know, besides the wrestling and the heavy hands, he's known for those calf kicks, which he got on Formiga and Formiga's, you know, UFC retirement fight, which credit to him. He, he, he fucked the dude up. You got to give him credit. But the reason why I don't think that weapon is going to be as readily available here is that Manel Cap switches stances expertly. And I have a feeling he's going to come out here southpaw just, just to let Alex know, like, hey, buddy, like I've studied your tape. These calf kicks aren't going to be as readily available as you think they are. And it's a lot harder to get off on kicks against the southpaw when you're orthodox. I mean, I can give you many examples of that. I mean, you all remember when um, uh, Jose Aldo used to be known for having the most insane leg kicks in the history of the sport. Korean zombie threw an audible and there went southpaw, checked the kick, broke a... Jose Aldo's foot, and you never saw Jose Aldo get back to his kicking game like it once was. I mean, you saw him throw a kick here and there, but it was never like it used to be. And I think here, Manel Cap, he's he's a smart guy. If you hear him talk, like I know he fucks around and he's a showboater and stuff like that, but I think he's getting better about it. Cause like it's like one thing when you're out here getting dropped by jabs, like how 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 are you gonna like fix that in the gym? But that's not the case with him. With Manel, it was just about you know a little bit more activity, like. He's coming into these fights feeling like he already won. You know, the guy acts like a champion. And I think when you give him five round fights, it's going to be a serious fucking problem. But I think now, you know, he's already had five UFC fights under his belt. I think he's going to be ready to go. And also in that Dvorak fight, I saw a lot of things I like. Firstly, shout out to Dvorak. That dude is tougher than a $2 steak. The fact that that fight went the distance is insane. The guy survived a ridiculous Kimura attempt. I mean, Manila Cap, credit to his ground game improving and him being a black belt now. We're getting Kimura sweeps now. And, I mean, against anybody else, that's a finish right there. Second round, I mean, the ref could have came in and stopped it on a knockout. And then third round, we're clearly up to let's coast in the, the last round. And, and he clearly won that too. So, yeah, there will be issues with coasting here. But I'm not convinced that Alex Perez has the goods to take what Manel Cap's going to be throwing at him. So, you know, for that reason... I'm, I'm taking this money line sooner than later. Yeah, he's frustrated me at times um, when he's in there, like you said, coasting, um, showboating a little bit. Um, and, you know, you're just screaming at the TV like, dude, you're not even up as much as you think you are. You know, you need to chill out. There's two more rounds left. Um, but, yeah, I think he's the side here for sure um, against um, Perez. And uh, I don't even think Perez is going to come in with a game plan. I literally think this is just showing up for a check. I expect him within like 30 seconds to shoot for a slappy takedown and get counted or maybe Cape, you know, wrap something up and gets his submission. But um, yeah, I, I think a round one finish is likely here. I'll take it, man. I will take it for sure. So featured bout in the featherweight division, we got Nate the train land where he's 60 and four taking on Austin Lingo, who is nine and one. And currently they got it. 
Nate Landwehr minus 220, the comeback on Austin Lingo was plus 185. So, Rich, originally it was like minus 300, and there was kind of like a universal take that, listen, uh, Landwehr is a guy we like to back at dog money. You know, whether I cashed plus 270 on him against Onama, cashed like plus 100, plus 105 against Elkins, but, you know, minus 300, you know, for a guy that gets dropped in a lot of fights, we love him as a fan. I mean, how can you not? You know, Nate Landwehr for president, right? But betting minus 300 on him, you know, it's kind of a tough ordeal, especially with this kid Lingo who, you know, he might be on the greener side, but he has been paying his dues. And if you watch his regional fights, man, he was out here sleeping guys, one punch, one hitter quitter. So he is live for the knockout. He does train at Forest MMA, but a lot of action has come in on him. And now we're seeing land where you dropped 80 cents to minus 220. So how do you kind of see this one? And what do you think about the big line move? Um, Like you said earlier, I think on the first fight, the line movement doesn't concern me, to be honest. I've, I've seen the situation before. I remember Tybora not too long ago against um, Bagoy. He opened something like minus 180 and closed minus 130. Um, Tybora was the side for me. The line moved. Tybora was still the line um, side for me. So, um, yeah, the line movement doesn't concern me at all. Um, I think you've got to be crazy to be betting Nate. Like, like you said, he's a fan favorite. Um, that's for sure. But laying minus 300 on him, laying minus 200 here in this situation is just pretty dumb. Um, a gust of wind and he's like um, falling over. So I bet uh, Ramos submission. Um, you know, Lingo, when Lingo submission, you mean? No, sorry. When Lingo got announced with Ramos, obviously oh. that got cancelled. I had Ramos to sub him. Gotcha. Um, but completely different matchup here, obviously. Um, so yeah, I'm taking Lingo. Like, how can you not um, as the underdog? I think he's got power in his hands. We've seen that on the regional scene. Not so much um, since he's come into the UFC. That was my reason for betting Ramos over him um, by submission. You know, not being able to finish the likes of Kilburn or Saldana, who literally had his hands on his knees at the start of round three in their fight, um, was a bit concerning. Um, but here against Nate, it's just that chin, man. Um, it's one of the worst I've seen, to be honest. And I'm surprised Onama didn't put him out. Um, I backed him in the Anama fight, Nate, because like you said, he, he was underdog. And even in the third round, I was like, Nate, what the fuck are you doing? Chill. <laughs> like, if you die here, I'm going to be pissed, man. You've got this fight. Um, but yeah, I'm fading, Nate, in this one, unfortunately. Um, it just is what it is, man. Lingo's got power. It's going to start on the feet. Nate stands for too long. He's going to give me every opportunity to cash that bet, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, pure pick. I'm going to go with Nate. I think he's slightly ahead, more experienced, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, pure pick don't mean shit. It's all about the number. <laughs> and when you get a number like that, I mean, you have to roll the dice. So I'm personally going to stay away, but I, I feel where you're coming from. This is the definition of a dogger pass situation. And I always talk about these guys with 10 pro fights or less are going to be making these big leaps. And it's been a while since we've seen Lingo. So I'm curious to see what he's been cooking up in the gym surrounded by the right people i mean i swear by coach safe Sayud. um even though some of his guys some of his guys haven't been winning lately and we're going to talk about ocho peterson listen you can't fight for them but like okay you give me a uh, coach safe you know with like a walking punching bag who's slow as fuck like ocho peterson that's one thing but you give me a uh, coach safe you know behind the control for some of these athletic specimens he has in his gym and he can really work magic. So I'm curious to see, you know, what they have for uh, for Nate Landwehr here. You, you know, so I think it should be a great fight. And good luck on your bet, my man. Yep. So now, unfortunately, we have to talk about 
what they're calling the the co-main event um between holly holm who's 14 and 6 taking on yana kunitskaya santos who's 14 and 6 currently they got it uh holly holm minus 250 the comeback on yana's plus 200 i mean did, did i talk about the uh Pereira and santiago fight while we were on air or did i talk to you about that off air like did i I don't remember, but you know, what I off air. Yeah. I was off air. So off air, I was telling you, bro, how like, so last time Holly Holm main evented versus Caitlin Vieira, and it was like one of the worst fights we've ever seen. But the co-main event was Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira. And I literally treated that episode of half the battle as if, as if uh, Ponzinibbio versus Pereira was the main event, because between you and me, Rich, it was the main event. And I didn't even watch Holm versus Vieira. And what everyone told me was exactly what I thought. Five rounds of boring cage pushing. These people thought home won. These people thought Vieira won. Everyone's going to try to take a big side, try to, you know, be the golden knight and the white knight for, you know, I, to me, I, I don't give a shit about this fight. And that's no disrespect. Holly Holm had one of the greatest upsets in the history of the sport against Ronda. You know how long ago that was, my man? <laughs> that shit was in November 2015, bro. It's 2023. Like, how many exciting moments has she given us since then? Maybe, maybe a couple. You know, maybe the Betch knockout, maybe that clinic against Irena. But besides that, I'm not, you know, champing at the bit to watch a Holly Holm fight. And Yana Kunitskaya has been extremely disappointing. I had somewhat high hopes when she won that Invicta belt and got that armbar over Tanya, but they overturned it because of the ref for some reason. Uh, I don't know. It was a legit armbar as far as I was concerned. And it seems to me like, you know, Yana's kind of physical, but Yana is one of those, you know, back to the Alex Perez talk. When things are going her way, you know, she can look good, but when they're not, she will check out quickly. And she just had a baby. So even though Holly's not at her best point, even though this number sucks, even though she's 41, I'm still going to go with Holly via annoying, boring split decision. This is the fight to go warm up the pizza, to pick up the chicken wings, to let your dog out to apologize to your girlfriend for watching this fight instead of spending time with her. But yeah, home via decision is my pick. Yeah. I didn't do much tape on this fight. Um, I'm, How not, dare interested you? In, I'm not inter interested in betting it. Um, if yeah, I'd say Holly eight point surf stays on the outside. Um, this is the post pregnancy fade. Um, I didn't like Yana Santos. Now I didn't like her to begin with, you know, earlier in the career, still don't like her. And I'm definitely not betting her after coming back after having a baby um so yeah holly by decision eight points sir now next up in the flyweight division we got a matchup between andrea kgb lee she's 13 and 6 taking on macy barber who is 11 and 2. currently they got it macy barber minus 260 the comeback on andrea lee is plus 220. um you know man when the line was a little nicer maybe under minus 200 I, i'd consider macy to you know i know macy technically speaking is not up there with andrea but i just think physically speaking she's superior and even like back in a fight which i was in attendance for between andrea lee and montana de la rosa like watching that fight man i mean the takedowns she gives up so easily and now i kind of feel like even that vivi araujo fight where she she did good early um the fight you know mentally she wasn't quite there like she once was and then, you know, you factor the outside the cage stuff, which doesn't come into my analysis that I personally don't like her, you know, marrying a Nazi and then 
you 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 break you break up with the Nazi who's got the swastika tattoo and let's rebound with Tony Kelly. You know what I'm saying? So I just don't fuck with her. But what I will say is this is in Texas. They see a cute girl with a cowboy hat on and this fight is close. You know who's getting that split decision, Rich. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always had a thing for Andrea Lee, but like you say, she's not the best, uh, she's not the best judge of character. Um, yeah, stylistically, I think this is Barbara's fight all day. I think she's too strong. Um, you know, she's the younger fighter. She's making improvements. She's only 24. Um, I think her takedown defense is only going to get better being, um, team alpha male. Um, I don't know whether she's there full time, but she's certainly training there, um, now and again from her Instagram. Um, so yeah, I think Barbara's too, too, um, too strong, man. I think, um... You know, she's got the punches that could like change the course of the fight. Whereas Andrea Lee, you know, she's doing her boxing thing on the feet. Um, she's throwing her one-twos. But I just think, you know, Barbara's got the more devastating punches, man. And I think um, I think she's even live for a stoppage here. I think we've seen the uh, Vivian Arujo fight uh, last time out for Andrea Lee. You know, she was getting tagged in that fight, man. Obviously, Vivian's got power, you know, speed on the feet. But so is Barber. I see a very, you know, this is very much like that fight. Um, so, yeah, Barber to negate the clinches, to negate the takedown attempts from Andrea Lee, which will come uh, when she starts getting lit up. And I think Barber's live for a finish, man. Um, so, yeah, I like her here. I mean, listen, man, maybe third time's the charm for Andrea Lee. After she's done with Tony Kelly, you can be the man to fix her. You know what I'm saying, man? But listen, as far as in the clinch, like one thing I really like about Macy Barber, okay, at distance, maybe the striking looks a little ugly, this and that. But in the clinch, she gets violent, man. I mean, she throws some heat for the standards of that weight class. And like you said, she's only 24 years old. So you are going to be seeing those big leaps. And ever since the fluke injury against Roxanne, I've liked what I've seen from her, you know, since then, you know, she lost that fight to the champ Alexa, but she even won a round against Alexa. She was competitive with Alexa, the Maverick fight. You know, I bet on Maverick there and everyone says it's this big robbery. It was a close ass fight and I shouldn't have been laying shock on a close ass fight. And also on that night, I also lost. Uh, I hear people talking about how, oh, Cheeto Vera, uh, only beats old guys. Well, I bet on Corey Sanhagen against an old guy named TJ Dillashaw who was coming off an EPO suspension who tore his ACL mid-fight and he lost that fight. So I, I'm just saying, man, but yeah, back to this. Um, I think Macy Barber, as long as she doesn't try to have a distance kickboxing match, she should be able to rough her up, bully her a little bit, out-physical her, and, and come out here and either get a late stoppage or get a decision win. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think the UFC are back on um, Barber now. You know, she had that first L against Roxanne, you know, with the injury. I think she beat Grasso, to be honest, in that fight. I think she should have got the nod for the decision. Um, you thought Macy did? Yeah. And I think she's just on, on, on the up now. You know, they're putting her back on the pay-per-view event for her last fight. Um, they're giving her a half-decent name here on the main card. Um, I think the UFC is high on Barber, and I, th I think she's going to be in a title contention again soon, man. I can see it. So, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Chidi and Jokuani. He's 22 and 8, taking down Albert Durayev, who is 15 and 4. So, we got Nigeria versus Russia. You already know that's going to be exciting. And currently, they got it Chidi minus 148, and Albert Durayev is plus 128. So, a lot of actions come in on the Russian. Um, I do have an opinion on an, on how they match up, not necessarily on a not necessarily a strong conviction on a pick, but I want to hear you first. What are you thinking? Well, obviously the narrative is going to be that Chidi lights him up on the feet 
avoid the takedowns and you know do what Buckley did and uh, get your KO. But um, I think the Russian's going to take him down in the first round and do his thing, man. I think he's going to maul him and likely get his submission end of round one, maybe beginning of round two. Um, I don't think Chidi's um, got what it takes, um, you know, to do the Buckley uh, blueprint, so to say. So, yeah, I'm on Duryev here. Um, I think I'll probably just take the prop um, by submission rather than the money line, because I think if he doesn't get it early, you know, he is live to get KO'd. Yeah, no, I feel you. And and I thought it was a dogger pass situation as well. Um, he, here's the thing about Durayev. Like, word on the street is that in this in the gym, this guy is one of the best guys. This guy's a killer. This guy's giving Sean Strickland, Chris Curtis, all those guys, even Ankalaev, all those guys, like, insane work in the gym. It's just sometimes he doesn't quite put it together under the lights. Um, now, that could, that could change, you know. Maybe he's been seeing a mental coach. I don't fucking know what the deal is. He's Russian. He's too prideful to see a mental coach. But what I'm trying to say is maybe he could put it together under the lights because the skills are there. The skills are there for Durayev. I mean, like, the Kopalov win has aged really well. And it's funny because I thought Kopalov was just this low-volume, you know, fake Russian. And you saw what he just did to Puna. I was like, God damn. So that's a win that's going to age well. And the thing about Chidi is I, I thought he turned a corner because I, I know, you know, a hardcore fan like yourself remembers the Bellator days when Koroshkov easily just took this guy down. It used to be you take down Chidi one time. He's not getting back up, but he has leveled up a little bit. You know, he is a black belt in jujitsu now, but certain things will always remain the same on the feet. You know, he's super long. He's got nasty feints. His kicking games on point. It's just, we've always kind of wanted to see a little bit more from Chidi. Like even when I max bet Chidi against Melvin Gillard. And if you go look at that fucking, um, the the, sta the stare down and the way and so you see the size difference it's like six four versus five eight like i'm thinking like oh the first knee we land we're gonna kill this guy it ends up being a 30 25 which is i mean i'm not complaining about a 30 25 but still it's like you still want a little bit more from chidi and i thought that he got past that when he got to the ufc that robocop fight he kind of resorted back to his old ways and i was kind of a bummer to see and but Duraev absolutely has a has a path like you were mentioning. Get him down. Don't let him back up. It's hard to break his will a little bit. It's just that on the feet, you know, Duraev has been knocked out in all of his losses. He is a little bit on the chinier side. And I don't want to question his toughness because, like I said, what I hear from the gym is he's like the best guy just under the lights. I don't know if it's a mental thing or what it is. So dogger pass situation and i agree with you i won't be on cheaty but pure pick i'll pick cheaty but pure pick doesn't mean shit you're the one with money on the line so I, so i hope you go out there and cash this one <clears throat> yeah his wins haven't really aged well either cheaty um you know barry you dusko you know dusko isn't looking too good now um i thought he even looked flat in that fight um you know we had last week weekend dusko i know it was a freak injury but just, you know, at stare downs, you know, just before the fight when they were being introduced, he just looked a bit flat, man, like a bit uninterested. Um, so, yeah, I just don't think his wins have aged very well. I think we see the same old Chidi in there. I think he breaks late round one. Um, you know, he, he is a black belt, but I don't know where he's getting that from um, because he's been subbed multiple times. And I think when he's the, uh, when he's the nail, um, he's not so good. When he's the hammer, like in the Dana White contender series fight against um, Souza. You know, he looks like a world beater, um, but when he's on bottom himself, not so much.
So before we talk about this next matchup between Pineda and Lutz, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Also give my buddy Rich a follow on Twitter at JustWinBaby. So next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Daniel the Pit Pineda. He's 27 and 14, taking on Tucker Lutz, who is 12 and 2. Currently, they got it. Tucker Lutz minus 300, the comeback on Daniel Pineda's plus 245. I mean, a couple years ago, even now, this line's kind of a joke. It's just that Pineda, like, you know how we used to make jokes about pre-USADA, post-USADA, and, like, show before and after pictures? Like, remember that, remember that kid Eric Silva when he first came into the UFC yeah, smashing yeah. everyone? And then they implemented the drug testing, and the guy just looked completely different. So the thing with Pineda is he was fighting in PFL, man. Like, well, firstly, he's had an original UFC stint back in the day. Like, the guy is just such a fucking seasoned vet. He's been around the game a long time. But so Pineda makes it to the pinnacle of PFL. You know, he beat that that undefeated Russian. Uh, he beat Jeremy Kennedy. He beat them both in the first round. And he actually tests positive in PFL. And let me tell you this, Rich. Like, for you to test positive in PFL <laughs> – like that means that like you're not just on Flintstone vitamins. Like you're literally harvesting the garden of life, fruits and vegetables, man. Like you're burning a hole in the ground when you piss because like the inner joke, like between a lot of people in the community is that PFL stands for PED fight league. So for this guy to, you know, get his wins overturned there and then comes into the UFC, gets a great upset win over Burns, but progressively you, you start to see, you know, He's a little bit more soft around the midsection, fight by fight. He's gassing out. And he's always been kind of a early finisher bust guy, but he's gassing worse than he ever has. Now he's getting up there in age at 37, 38. But the only thing is, we're here in Texas. He's from Texas. And this guy, Tucker Lutz, I think also from Texas. Lutz, I've never really been that impressed with. He's kind of like this unathletic guy that, like, maybe he's an overachiever maybe you kind of gas out against him he can take over and beat you on points but for minus 300 i want a destruction am i guaranteed a destruction here rich i don't think you are man <laughs> um, and i don't think you should be betting on um on lutz in this situation i think again it's another dog or pass situation man i think um pinade is definitely the most dangerous out of the two um, but saying that, you know, you've got a 37 year old, like you said, used to be on the PEDs, um, probably is no longer. And, you know, Lutz could win this by TKO just purely from Pineda gassing. Um, you know, he throws everything into every shot. Um, he comes out hot in the first round. Um, and yeah, his recent record isn't that great, man. Like he was definitely on his way to losing that fight against Feely um, before the eye poke. Um, I'm not saying he was looking for a way out, but, you know, another minute of that fight and he would have got stopped, um, you know, got st stopped by Cub Swanson. Um, but yeah, in this situation, I'm taking Pineda. I like the odds. I think he's the more dangerous of the two. I think if he can get a takedown and get on top, um, he could definitely get a submission. Um, but if not, I guess Lutz by decision, just by making it boring. But I really hate this guy, um, Lutz. I don't like him at all. Um, I think he's boring. I think he just wants to look for his takedowns. Um, his strength of competition isn't that great. Two Dana White contender series fights against uh, Gibson and Blackledge, which were decisions. Um, and then he beats Kevin Aquilar by decision and loses to Sabatini. And now he gets Daniel Pineda. So, um, yeah, I'm taking the dog opportunity. I will be betting in the distance because I don't think Pineda can get a decision. I know it's in Texas. 
Um, but he gasses that bad, man. I think it's like do or die for him. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice on him one last time. Um, but I think if he loses here, it might even be retirement time, man. I mean, the thing you got to understand, understand about Pineda is he's had, what, like 40 to 50 fights, and he's yeah. never won a decision. Not one. Not <laughs> one. So, yeah. Eight, yeah, it, 18 wins by submission, nine by knockout. And that's not including the two that got overturned in PFL. So it's yeah. more than that. So, I mean, it's close to 30 finishes on the resume for Pineda. So what's one more? Let's see. Let's see if he can do it. Now, next up, also in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Steven Ocho Peterson, 19 and 10, taking on Lucas Alexander, who is 7 and 3. Currently, they got it. Steven Peterson. Just depends where you look. Uh, minus 145, the comeback on Lucas Alexander is, is anywhere from plus 125 to plus 140, just depending where you look. And listen, man, I, I sat down and I watched Lucas Alexander's entire career start to finish. And I mean, some of those early fights were ugly as fuck. Like towards the end, started getting a little bit better, but he still, I still came out thinking like, man, I cannot wait to fade this guy. He is way too green for the UFC. He's not ready yet. I mean, what he does do well is he's athletic. He's got big kicks, um, but that's about kind of like the extent of it, some decent knees and, you know, just a little dynamic, quote unquote, dynamic striking. Trains with good people though. Trains under Julian Williams, you know, spars with Mike Davis, Phil Rowe, uh, Adolfo Vieira, Jacare. So he's always surrounded by the right people. It's just, you know, I'm not quite sure he's ready to be here now. And in all three of his losses, they have been submission losses, but to take it a step further, they've been quick tap. All three of them, quick tap submission losses. And you can give him a pass for, you know, taking that last fight with Brito on short notice. And, oh, that's why, you know, it was so easy. But, like, dude, I've seen guys, look at my buddy Jared that took a fight on two days notice. Yeah, did Jared look like shit after round one? Yes, but Jared still survived every single bad spot against Carlson, who hasn't you know won a decision since like 2017 carlson's out here finishing all his guys so it just kind of showed like i'm not sure if lucas is exactly the toughest guy but but here's the thing i was thinking oh i can't wait to fade this guy but then i go watch ocho peterson and the guy is exactly what i said throughout his entire career he's a slow durable walking punching bag he's a he's a tough punching bag he's an experienced punching bag but he's a punching bag, no less. So win, lose, or draw, like Lucas Alexander is going to land uh, on Steven Peterson no matter what. Like that's just established. He is going to get off on kicks, whatever the case may be. It's just what happens down the stretch. Are we getting to a point where the pressure of Peterson eventually gets to Lucas and maybe Lucas takes a bad shot, gets caught with a guillotine? Is it going to be a close decision where after round one, Lucas gasses and Steven lands the better shots? Or is Steven just going to get touched up for two of the three rounds because he is a fucking punching bag? Like, And also, with a kid like Lucas who's only had 10 fights, you know he has been getting progressively better. It's just, is he at this level yet? Bro, I think um, this guy, Alexander, absolutely sucks. Um, I don't understand why he's in the UFC at all. Um, you know, he come off that amp. I think it was because he took the late notice um, fight against Brito, if I'm not wrong. That's how he got in. Um, because before that, he was fighting on that Anthony Pettis show, um, winning to Jacob Kilborn. Um, it was an injury to Kilborn, um, so it wasn't through anything that Alexander did. But yeah, he, he's a bum, bro. Like, um, you know, come up in the Florida scene, island fights. Um, like you said, he's got 
uh, submission losses. I watched the tape. They were quick taps. He does lack a ground game. And this is, I can't believe Peterson's minus 150. I think he should be minus 300 here. If he loses this fight, you know, he should be caught, um, Peterson. Um, this is a layup for him. Obviously, he should wrestle. That's the path of least resistance, which means he probably won't. He'll probably stand, like he said, and be a punch bag. Um, but yeah, he's only been KO'd once in his career, Peterson. So I think he's pretty safe here. He should grind on um, Alexander. And uh, he should get a finish, man. If he ain't finishing him in the first two rounds, like I said, he needs to be cut because this is a clear layup. I don't think this Alexander guy is any better than me or you, man. We go watch his tape. The guy's <laughs> he's absolutely a, a can. Um, you know, beating guys are a three and one, oh and oh, two and one. He doesn't belong here, man. It's Peterson's to lose, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, when I watched the tape, I was like, oh, I can't wait to fade him. It's just. Then it came time to watch Steven, and man, so slow. But at least, like, <laughs> he's in there with, with real guys. And even though it looks ugly as fuck, he's getting tagged every fight. His face is always a mess. He's still fighting kind of competitive with, with real guys, you know, one around against uh, Bruce Leroy. Some people thought he arguably won that fight, you know. Um, he's had he's had some good moments along the way, even the Julian Arosa fight. But, but back to the Julian Arosa fight, like, yes, it was a fantastic fight, but, like, how hurt he had julian like i need to see a guy put him out of there when you have someone hurt to that extent but this kid lucas is nowhere near as experienced as a julian arosa um so yeah i mean the pick is steven it's just it, it's it's tough for me to uh bet on a walking punching bag so, bro this would be make or break if he, if he can't get alexander out of there it'd be on the fade list forever I, i'll never bet on peterson again um like you said he should have had a roaster out of there should have had Hooper out of there if he had gone in with the right game plan. He did go in with the right game plan against Hooper, but the, at times, you know, he was just doing stupid things, but doesn't he always in every fight? But yeah, he should get it done here. And speaking of doing stupid things in fights, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Trevin Giles. He's 15 and four, taking on Preston Parsons, who is 10 and three. Currently, they got it. Preston Parsons, well, it just depends where you look. In some books, it's Giles minus 115 and Parsons minus 105, and in other books, it's that exact line just flipped. So basically, a pick em fight. Some places a slight lean on Parsons, some places a slight lean on Giles. Giles, the more experienced guy. What kind of upside do you have Preston Parsons? Do you, do you think Preston Parsons has here, whether it's with his pace or his wrestling? Yeah, I think it's probably lined correctly. Um, and I think obviously his grappling, Parsons, that's what's going to be uh, the difference here. That's what he's going to try and implement. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking at Giles' record, man. I see he's back down um, well to wait for this one, yep. uh, which is good. I don't like him at middleweight, um, Giles. Um, I think he can get the W here. I don't like um, some things I'm seeing from Parsons. You know, a lot of round one finishes. Um, I see him gas out in the fight against um, Evans when he was coming up a weight. Um, I know he dominated that fight as he should have Parsons, but, you know, he couldn't get the finish there against um, Evan Elder, who was coming up to welterweight. Um, and then I don't like to see a guy with a lot of rain one finishes on his record, man. I like to see someone who's gone the distance and faced a bit of adversity, so I don't like that from Parsons. And I just think Giles has got the... Um, Giles, Giles has got the... Um, he's got the jiu-jitsu, well, enough jiu-jitsu in him, you know, to be defensively sound and maybe even find his own submission later on when Parsons starts to fade, which I think he definitely will after, um, after round two. So, yeah, I'm liking the uh, the Trevin Giles side here, man. 
Um, I think it's good for him being back down at um, welterweight. And um, yeah, this is a Parsons fade, man. I think he's a jiu-jitsu guy. And uh, I don't think he's going to get his submission early. So uh, I'm fading him, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a strong take. The only thing that where I might slightly disagree is I kind of thought Trevin Giles didn't look good, at one, look good at 170. You know, the Michael Morales fight gets stopped pretty quickly. And then the next fight against Kosei, look, you did your job. You got your 30-27. But, I mean, when, when I pull up what those numbers said, which I'm actually about to do right now, man, um, you know, when you only land 25 strikes in a three-round fight, I mean, that, that, that was abysmal so basically i think that preston parsons does have a higher work rate than trevin giles my issue is that you know i'm not exactly sold on his durability not that i am on giles but you know parsons you know whether it was against d rod whether it was against mike perry on the regional scene you know he has been stopped every single time he's taken a step up and he's been stopped in round one every single every single time as well so it's just about you know it, it's it's hard to say that giles is on a decline he's still a relatively young guy man i mean i think he what only 30 31 you know so i think uh it's just a matter of is he getting used to this weight class now because those last two fights you know which were his first two at welterweight were a little bit on the rougher side maybe now he's used to it uh, maybe third time's the charm but the reason i'm gonna pick preston and, and it's hard for me to do because look at the resume of giles on his regional scene man he's the only man to submit brendan allen he beat ryan span like he's beat some real beat roman de leeds eh, despite how stupid that fight was you know um he's, he's beat some real guys um just stylistically, I think if Preston doesn't get, you know, badly compromised, I do think he can kind of push the pace on him a little bit and just outwork him. So I'm going to pick him for that reason. But I think you're the one with the money down here. I'm, I'm not I'm not touching this one unless there's good dog money on, on, on that side. So pure pick Preston, no bet for me. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hear you, man. Now, next up in the flyweight division, this should be very exciting. We got CJ Vergara. He's 10-4-1, taking on Daniel De Silva Lacerda, who's 11-4. Currently, they got it. CJ Vergara, minus 240. The comeback on Daniel De Silva is plus 205. Let me tell you what, man. Like, this Daniel De Silva, like, the first 60 to 90 seconds when I watch him fight, I'm like, God damn, like, this dude is good because you look at, like, a first-round or bust guy like Terrence McKinney, and it's more, like, kind of, like, Derek Brunson bum rushing you. The technique looks ugly, but he's so athletic that he can get away with it. Whereas, like, Lacerda, like, these techniques in the first 60 to 90 seconds are, like, really fucking nice. I'm like, this is like a little Charles Oliveira, and then he just falls off a cliff completely. Like, I, I don't I don't get what the deal is because, like, 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 a lot of people are talking about how, well, he's lost his, th his three UFC fights and he's been finishing all of them. Why haven't they cut him yet? Well, it's like because the guy takes risks because the guy is exciting. The guy goes for it. Every single one of his fights are epic as fuck. So I expect no less here. He's live for another first round finish here. The thing is with CJ Vergara, he's not as athletic as De Silva. May not even be as skilled, but he's that junkyard dog. We've seen him go three rounds with another explosive Brazilian in Clayjison Rodriguez. And, you know, should he be able to get past this early going, I do think that he kind of pressure cooks him a little bit and, and gets him out down the stretch. It's just that, you know, both of their jobs are on the line. So this is going to be the best version of the Silva. It's just even in that last fight against Altamirano, I felt like he was trying to pace himself. It's just 
he, he can't he can't help it for whatever reason I, I don't know what the deal is if someone can explain to me please do because like how can you look like like when i'm watching his fights i'm like god damn that was beautiful like with terrence mckinney i'm never like that was beautiful i'm like i'm just like oh damn he hits hard right whereas with the silva i'm like damn those like the, like the techniques on his kicks the arm bars off his back i'm like this is some pretty high level shit just completely falls apart so what do you think man i mean is cj vergara gonna whether this early storm takeover slow cook him or is it finally daniel da silva getting his first ufc win and finish here yeah i wouldn't ask yourself those type of questions bro i've, I've just give up on some of these fighters now i'm still asking myself why jamie malarkey can take a guy down dominate him in round one and then go for no wrestling in round two and three and almost get his fucking head took off like against jalen turner no, who did um, Jamie Malarkey fight last time? He was a massive favorite. Oh, against Prada. But yeah, like they're just they do dumb things, man. Fighters do dumb things, you know. You know your your path of least resistance could be to wrestle, and you'll come out and stand for fucking three rounds. Like they do these things, man. And I think it's the same with De Silva. I just I don't even think he knows why he doesn't pace himself. You know, he's definitely got the technique. He's got some good jujitsu up his back, but he just comes out like a you know, full retard, spinning back kicks, um, throwing the kitchen sink. And I, don't, I can't see it being any different here. I know his back's to the wall, but I don't think he's taking this serious. He's a, he's a young lad. Um, I think he's going to come out as usual, you know, come out fast. And it's up to, to Vergara to, um, you know, weather that early storm and then put a beating on him. Um, I'm probably going to look for some prop bets, you know, Vergara round two, three, um, TKO most likely. Um, but yeah, I guess Silva's live. You know, Vergara has to watch his P's and Q's when he's in guard. Um, I remember De Silva's uh, debut against Jeff Molina. I bet the submission. I liked what I was seeing off his back in the regional tape. And obviously, he was holding on to that arm bar for like, you know, the whole of rain one and didn't get it. But since then, I've left him alone, man. Um, he's just too stupid for me. So I expect Vergara to knock him out at some point. Yeah. Um... Interestingly enough, so Vergara, I heard an interview with him. Well, firstly, this fight's in San Antonio, where Vergara's from, so it's a hometown oh, fight for him. Um, he was talking about how, like, after he beat Clayjason Rodriguez, kind of got ahead of himself a little bit, you know, thought he was the man, goes in there against Tyra, misses weight. But he said since that Tyra fight, he's completely changed things around and it's like literally got everything down to a science from the time he goes to sleep to his morning routine to his strength and conditioning, like to his diet, like literally everything. He said he's so locked in that that was a wake-up call for him. And he knows his back's up against the wall, and he knows his opponent's back is up against the wall too. So I agree with you. Um, let's get past these first, you know, 60 to 90 seconds, and then you take over. It's just those first 60, 90 seconds, you're going to be puckering out of that ass, man. You're going you're gonna to be sweating, man, because this kid's the De Silva. He brings it. It's just like... It'd be kind of interesting if De Silva maybe lost confidence and tried to pace himself a little bit. Then I'd be more confident in, in Vergara because if he fights uncharacteristic, Vergara is just going to go right after him. So, but that's probably not going to happen. De Silva is going to do what De Silva does: look amazing for you know a minute and a half, and then fall off a cliff. And uh, Vergara should take over and get a nice hometown decision. So, yes, sir. Now, next up in. The lightweight division, we got a matchup between Manuel Loco Torres. He's 13 and 2, taking on Trey Ogden, who is 16 and 5. Currently, they got it. Manuel Loco Torres, minus 140, the comeback on Trey. 
Ogden is plus 120. And what's interesting is that Manuel opened uh, minus 250. So literally all the actions come in on Trey Ogden. And like the way I think about this is like, look, Trey Ogden is an experienced vet. We got to give him credit for that. The guy's been around the block, yada, yada, yada. And if you're not quite ready for his level, you know, he might be able to expose that. It's just that, like, even in that Zell Huber fight, that was more about Zell Huber pulling a debut stunt than it was about Trey Ogden looking amazing. Like, you look at the numbers in that fight, and there was nothing to write home about. It was just uh, Ogden landed a couple more kicks, you know, landed a takedown, and the kid popped right back up. It's just that when your opponent literally does nothing and you do a little bit, you're going to win. But, I mean, that that win actually I think will age well because I actually do think Zell Hoover is going to come back and look even better his next fight. All he has to do is actually fight, which he didn't do against Ogden. But Ogden's also a guy that has a loss over Jordan Levitt, which a lot of people thought he won that fight. He showed a couple things, a nasty guillotine, but that's still a loss that's going to age really badly. And then you go back to his regional fights and the guy diving in the chokes against Thomas Gifford more than once. So I am not sold on Trey Ogden at all, man. I think that Trey Ogden is just another journeyman where it's kind of like, you know, if you want to pull that debut stunt like Zell Huber, if you're just not quite ready for the UFC level, he can get past you. He's not going to make a statement on you, but he can get past you. But the thing with Manuel Torres, man, is that like you watch his regional fights and I was like, uh, I don't know about this, but his last two fights, like the, the physicality he's put on size, he looks great. And it's just like what I see is just improvements, big time improvements and just big physicality, nasty strikes. And I hear this narrative about, well, he hasn't been past round one. And it's like, okay, sure. But like, what evidence do we have that he's going to slow down? Should this go past round one? Like, I don't see any evidence of him huffing and puffing or anything like that. Like, it's not his fault that he's getting all these guys out of there in round one. So I'm not going to be the one to hold that against him. So to me, actually, uh, I, I got Manuel Torres here um, a, as my pick. Um, look, I get it. If at plus 210, you know, you wanted to check if, if Manuel Torres isn't quite ready. You got a vet in Ogden. Okay. But. I think the upside here is with Manuel. I mean, basically what the UFC are trying to do is they try to test out Zell Huber against Ogden. That didn't work out. So now we're going to try out our next prospect against him. They don't have any plans for Trey Ogden. Are you fucking kidding me? So it's just about Manuel not coming out here and pulling some kind of rookie stunt. And if he doesn't do that, I think he's more powerful. I think he's more dangerous. I think he's more physical. I think his trajectory is higher. And I think he's improving fight by fight. So I'm going to go with Manuel Torres for the win. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think uh, narrative-wise, I think the UFC is pulling some um, pulling some things in Mexico. You know, they just opened the PI um, down there. They've now got Moreno as champ, and they've got uh, Grasso as champ. Um, I bet both of them, partly because of these narratives. And uh, Torres is probably my favorite bet this week. Um, I love the line. Like you said, it's getting down to minus 140 now. Um, I suppose people have you know, thinking the same thing. He's, Torres hasn't been out of rain one. Ogden's going to take him down, you know, maybe sub him. Uh, but I don't think so, man. I think this is a setup by the UFC. Um, I think Torres is fully on steroids. I think if you go and check out his Instagram, uh, there's a nice picture on his stories at the minute. Um, I think I've even reposted it on my Twitter. So go check that out and see if you all agree. But yeah, I think Torres is on the supplements 100%. Um, I think he knows he lacks the ground game and that's why he fights like he does. You know, there's no overextended from extending from him in his punches. You know, he's very crisp. Um, you know, he's very wary um, of the takedown. 
And I think um, he's going to be smart here, Torres. Negate the takedowns and uh, probably find another KO, man. Um, I just don't trust Stockton enough. You know, we saw in the J Jordan Levitt fight, whether you think he won it or not. You know, he's just putting himself in bad positions, doing stupid things. And, uh, you know, he was gassed in that third round, um, which is never a good look, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I'm going Torres here, man. My favorite bet of the week. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about Mexico, if you've ever been, you know, I got family there. Like, dude, you can go to a pharmacy and get shit over the counter. It's not like oh, really? here where, like, you know, you need to set a doctor appointment and, you know, get pass all these tests before they approve you Mexico, just go over there and i'm not just talking about <laughs> steroids i'm talking about any kind of pill you want any just go over there it's over the counter it's like hey no big deal so you know as long as his masking agents are on point honestly i don't give a fuck because think about this let's say we win this bet and then he tests positive guess what you don't have to give your money back <laughs> so it's all good you know <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah uh, i'm with you I, I got manuel torres here as well now this flyweight fight I'm very excited for. And before we talk about Salvador and Altamirano, everyone do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And then also give my buddy Rich a follow at Just Win Baby. So next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Vinicius Salvador. He's 14 and 4, representing Brazil, taking on Victor Altamirano, who's 11 and 2, representing Mexico. Currently, they got it. Um, it just depends where you look. I mean, I see a minus 120 for Salvador, a plus 100 Alter Marana. So, and then I see minus 110 a piece. So it just depends what book you're looking at. But kind of the majority is saying a slight lean, a pick them with a slight lean on Vinicius Salvador. And Rich, this is a hell of a flyweight fight, man. I mean, you know for a fact these two, and not only is it Brazil versus Mexico, it's Brazil versus Mexico in Texas. So hopefully the crowd shows up early because this is going to be a rowdy fight. This is going to be a violent fight. Um, these two are going to go after it. So how do you see this one going down? Yeah, I love this fight, man. Um, it should have been the curtain jerker, to be honest. You know, they should have fucked these girls off and had this um, fight opening the prelims um, because I think it's going to be fast-paced. Um, I think there's going to be knockdowns, you know, potential fight of the night shit. Um, I really like this kid, Alta Marino. Um, I watched his interview from his last fight. Um, and he just comes across as really intelligent to me. You know, I, I see him on his um, Instagram playing the cello and stuff and talking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's got a bit of IQ about him. Um, I like his style in there. Um, I like his knees. I like his um, volume. Uh, and I think he's going to get the win. I don't like what I see from Salvador. I know he's got, um, you know, power in his hands and he's exciting and he got his finish on Dana White's Contender Series. Um, but that was against Shannon Ross, man, who's shown himself not to be the best of uh, competition. Uh, and before that, he was fighting O&O guys um, on the regional scene, knocking them out. So I think he's got poor experience, um, Salvador. Um, I think he's a one-trick pony. He doesn't look for offensive wrestling um he looks to he doesn't really throw any kicks um so i don't think he's going to trouble Alta marino that much to be honest and i don't think he's going to find his ko um which just leads me to believe that Alta marino is going to find a uh, ko submission in round two or three and that's what i'm going to bet you know what's funny i've heard a take this week that venicia salvador has the better gas tank here and i and i'm like are, are you sure we're talking <laughs> about the same guy because the big concern i have with salvador is that he literally throws everything in every strike and he is one of these gassing assassin brazilian fighters man so i think that alta morano has the way better cardio it's just that 
the power and you know the the more athletic guy the the more physical guy is gonna be Vinicius Salvador but Altamirano kind of reminds me of a fighter that I used to bet on all the time uh, named Emmanuel Sanchez from Bellator back in the day where oh yeah yeah you know, where you know the guy might get taken down earlier early might get cracked early but he just keeps pushing and chipping and chipping away and going and going and going and I heard the interview that you're talking about and I was blown away by how intelligent Altamirano was I was like god damn this guy really thinks and he knows exactly what he needs to do to win this fight which is get in Salvador's face and just chip away at him overwhelm him with volume but we know the concern here it's not often you see guys with that one hitter quitter at flyweight I mean we got one guy on this card named Manel Cap we got a former champion named uh, Davison Dice Duguea Figueredo but besides those two you don't often see that so it's great to see you know a new addition you know one of these guys that you know he's got that swag he's got that one hitter quitter but man I really think Victor Altamirano, should he not be badly compromised, can push the pace on this guy, get him huffing and puffing, and overwhelm him down the stretch. So I'm with you on this one. I like Victor Altamirano as well. Yeah, and you can you can say Salvador's got power, but it's hard to gauge really, isn't it? Like he KO'd Ross, but it wasn't, a, you know, a one punch and he was out. You know, he survived Ross. You know, he had to knock him down a couple of times before he got him out of there. But you go and look at his regional tape, and it is literally O and O guys, man. You know, cab drivers. So how do you really gauge that? Is, has he got power, or are they just chinny as fuck and just looking to take one hit, get their money, and go home? Um, but yeah, nevertheless, I'm with you, man. I'll be taking Altamirano. and it's it's funny. Um, I likened him at one point to uh, Tony Ferguson the way he fights. Obviously, minus the technique, is nowhere on Tony Ferguson's level. But he just kind kind of gave me like. Um, Tony Ferguson vibes, um, you know, the way he was talking as well a little bit in his interview, like really hyped up and everything. Um, so, yeah, I think he could have a big ceiling, man. Um, obviously, he lacks power in his hands. Um, but, you know, the accumulation of the strikes um, are going to do their thing. So, yeah, I really like a finishing round two or three here, man. Yeah, it's that death by a thousand cuts. It's like that fucker. It's like when you step on that cockroach and it's still alive. Like this dude will just keep coming at you. Yeah. And, and I love qualities like that. But when you're talking about the power of Salvador, let's see if Salvador can put an end to that. I personally don't think he does, but that's why that's why it's a pick em. So I'm excited to see what happens. But I'm with you uh, on the Mexican here. Now, last but not least, in the Bantamweight division, we got Tamiris Vidal. She's 7-1, and one, but between you and me, Rich, she's actually 6-2 and two because Aileen Perez whooped her ass. And she's taking on Haley Cowan, who is 7-2. and two. And currently, and, and before I talk about this, it's interesting that they didn't rebook Salvador versus uh, Daniel Da Silva because in that one, I did have Salvador, and they're both on this card. Um, so yeah. interesting how that works. But anyways, back to this. Cowan minus 125, Vidal plus 105, um, open minus 155, uh, Tamiris Vidal. So the lines basically flipped. Um, and, and like, here's my thing, man. Like, so my first experience watching Tamiris Vidal was when I was scouting Eileen Perez for her UFC debut. And I was thinking, like, this is a low level fight. Like, they're using gym mats in their fights, like, which I respect, like, at least, like, you know, you're doing what you can with what you have where you are. So props to y'all. But that was a very low level regional scene. So not only was Tamiris Vidal getting a first round flying knee knockout in the UFC fight, not on my bingo card, 
but Tamiris Vidal getting a UFC win streak is also not on my bingo card. And Haley Cowan, I mean, she she's got a lot of work to do also, man. I mean, she does have a nice wizard kick. She is a little bit athletic, but we've seen a lot of mistakes along the way, whether it was that, that fight not too long ago where she got clipped and, and ran right into a guillotine, whether it was back in the day, you know, easily gave up a rear naked choke, even the contender series fight. I thought she was a couple seconds away from pulling that exact same stunt. So, you know, it's hard to take a position. I'll say this. If you got in on that Haley Cowan dog money early, you did your job. Now she's the favorite. But at this price, there's no reason to force a bet. Pure pick Cowan. I have zero interest in betting it, my man. Yeah, same here. I think I'm going to stay away from this one. Um, I think, like you say, if you got in on the uh, Cowan plus, I think 190, which is just insane. Um, you know, props to you, man. Um but yeah, it's hard to trust Vidal and it's hard to trust Karen. Like I had loads to say about her when she was due to fight Perez. I was going to take Perez to sub Karen uh, before Karen pulled out last late notice. Um, she just puts herself in stupid positions. The thing is here with this fight is Vidal getting it to the ground. Um, I don't trust her to do that. And I even think when she's trying to get her body lock on and try and get her outside trip, that Karen can reverse it. I think she's more athletic. And I think Karen on top could be a problem, man. Um, so I'm actually leaning towards Karen to get a finish over uh, Vidal. I think when she's on bottom Vidal, aside from going for her foot locks and ankle locks, um, she's pretty poor. And I could see her getting elbowed. I could see her getting cut open. Even rear naked choked herself. You know, we see she's got a submission loss on her record. I know it was to uh, Carol Rosa um, in her early days. So that's a bit of a tough fight. But yeah, I think uh, Karen's the side here. If you've got the plus money, well done. Um, but at minus 125, um, I'm staying away from this one. I can't bet. I can't bet that, man. One of my rules at the beginning of the year was don't bet women favorites. And uh, I'm not breaking that rule either. So I'm staying off it, man. So Ghost Gardner, longtime listener of the show. Appreciate you, man. He says Victor Altamirano slows down. But the reason he won that contender series fight against Candelario is because he started picking it up in the second and third round. He was the one that was, you know, improving as the fight progressed. Whereas you look at the Shannon Ross and Salvador fight, I mean, Salvador was backing into the fence, hands down, breathing hard. It's just, you know, this dude, uh, Shannon Ross, his chin has a magnet for punches, you know? So I, I actually disagree. I, I think that Altamirano is the one with the better gas tank there. But we'll find out, right? Yeah, definitely. So now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, Rich, what is the fight to watch for UFC San Antonio? It's got to be the main event, right? You get five rounds of it, Vera versus Sandhagen. Um, you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Um, yeah, should be violence, man. Five rounds of violence. So, yeah, that's my fight to uh, fight to watch, I think. For sure. I mean, listen, you don't have to sell me on Marlon Chito Vera, the man with the most finishes in the history of the Bantamweight division on the cusp of a title shot, taking on a guy in Corey Sanhagen, who, you know, puts up the kind of numbers that we all love to see and two young guys in their prime. That's absolutely the fight to watch for me since I have to give another one. I mean, come on, you know, I'm not missing a Nate Landwehr fight. Nate Landwehr for president, you know what I'm saying? And he's got a dance partner in Austin Lingo that's not going to hump his legs, that's not going to make the crowd boo. Austin Lingo is going to swing bombs too. So for that reason, in addition to the main event, Landwehr versus Lingo is my fight to watch. Now, Rich, who is your fighter to watch? 
Uh, it's a tough one between Alta Marino and Torres, uh, but I think I'll go with Alta Marino. Um, I've got good reads on both of them, or well, I, I at least think I've got good reads on both of them, and I think they're both going to win. Um, so that's always interesting to me. See if my reads are right. See if the fight goes down like I think it's going to. Um, and if they do, I think both Torres and Alta Marino are going to show out and um, have a good night. Yeah, I mean, that's one you have to watch. And for me, my fighter to watch is Manel Cap. Look, I've been saying for a while that this is a guy that could potentially not only fight for a title, but be a champion in the UFC. It's just about making you know some better decisions in there because the, the skills, the physique, the speed, all that's there. It's just about just being smart in there. I think he's got the perfect opponent who's ranked higher than him to go out there, get a highlight reel finish, and stamp stamp your claim that, hey, I want to be the guy that fights Brandon Moreno or Alexander Pantoja for that title shot. And to take it a step further, I actually did a show with your co-host, Liam, at the beginning of the year. We did our 10 boldest UFC predictions. And a few of mine have come true. A few haven't, you know. Obviously, you know, I picked Jamal to win to win the belt. Um, I said, I, I forgot which other ones I said. I'll tell you which one I got wrong. I said John Jones was going to take his first UFC L because I thought he was going to fight Francis. <laughs> I, I said it before I knew he's fighting gone. So I'm definitely going to be wrong on that one. But I did say Manel Cap would be fighting for a belt. And I'm not going to back down from that, just like I'm not going to back down from Cheeto fighting for a belt. So, yeah, for that reason, Manel Cap is my fighter to watch well rich we did it it's going down this saturday live in san antonio texas at the at&t center marlon chito vera versus Corey sanhagen big thanks to all the fans that tuned in do me a huge favor smash the like button hit the subscribe button after this is over leave me a comment feel free to share also make sure y'all uh, check out just win baby on twitter there's two t's on it and all his links and stuff are all posted there. Highly recommend y'all give him a follow. Very, very low-key guy, but very sharp guy as well. And also, Rich, thanks for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Yeah, good show, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having us on, man. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. For all the fans, thank you all so much for all your endless support. Truly means the world to me. Um, can't wait for this weekend. Y'all enjoy it. Have a good time. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>